Well, good morning, River City. It is good to be with you. My name is Brandon, one of the pastors here. Uh, what a great morning to come. Such a cool way to get to be a part of what God is up to in the life of our church and uh, celebrating baptisms and new life in Christ. And we're so grateful for the ways that God is bringing about that transformation in people here at River City. And so we're excited to get to be a part of it, but also at the heart of what Nick's story is and the way Ryan prayed is that God's the one who's doing that transforming work in people. And so we're just excited to be a part of that. So uh, excited as well to uh, continue our study in First and Second Thessalonians this morning. Uh, we're actually finishing up the first of these two letters in our study together. But if you've been gone or you're just joining us for the first time, it's really important that you understand that there's this central kind of recurring motif, this central theme throughout both of these letters, and that Paul keeps bringing up, that he keeps weaving into everything he's talking about. And, and we've seen how, how that central theme is the theme of Jesus' return, his second coming, this, this day that Jesus promised when he would return to earth in person to set all things right, to, to deal with evil, and, to, and to, set it, to enthrone his kingdom in its kind of once and for all reign. And at the heart of Paul's teaching about this idea about Jesus' return is that we've seen is that, that Jesus' return is not just some future reality that shapes the way that we die someday or the way that we look at the future, but instead that Jesus' return is meant to be something that utterly transforms the way that we live now. We've used this language in our study that, that it gives us a sanctifying hope. We've seen how that sanctifying hope in Jesus, it, it changes the way that we live in all kinds of ways. It affects how we endure suffering and opposition, how we do discipleship and mission, how we love and serve people, how we practice our sexuality, how we grieve over death, how we live in community with fellow Christians, and how we relate to God and rely on His Spirit. And if we're honest, just growing in those areas that we've seen Paul addressing in this one letter could keep most of us pretty busy for the rest of our lives, right? Like, that, like that, that's, that's, that's a short list, but there's a lot going on there. And yet the truth is, is that when it comes to the kind of sanctified lives that's calling us to live, 1 Thessalonians is just the tip of the iceberg. And it's easy, I think, to feel overwhelmed and even defeated by all the ways that we can look at our lives and see all the ways that our actions and our attitudes and our perspectives, they still don't look like Jesus as yet. By all the ways that we still need to be sanctified. And I think Paul really understood that. He was a normal dude, just like the rest of us. And so as he wraps up his letter to this young church, we're going to see him offering the Thessalonians and us some really profound encouragement about the sanctifying hope that he's been calling us to be characterized by. And what I want to show you this morning as we wrap up this first letter to the Thessalonians is that the reason why you and I, the reason why we can continue to keep pressing into this lifelong process of God's sanctifying, transforming, renewing work in our lives without feeling overwhelmed, without feeling defeated, is because God is the one who is doing all of the heavy lifting. God's the one who's doing all the heavy lifting. See, in other words, you and I, we don't sanctify ourselves. God does it. Ultimately, he is the one who does that work in us. And as we're going to see this morning, we can count on him to be faithful to finish what he starts. 
It is such an encouraging passage. I can't wait to show it to you this morning as we dive into the very end of this first letter. And so with that in mind, let's pray. We'll dive into our passage and look for the sanctifying hope that faith in Jesus produces in us. Let's pray. Lord God, we're so grateful for you, and we're so grateful this morning to celebrate your transforming work in the lives of people coming to faith in you. But we recognize, God, that the the work of salvation is just the beginning, and that you call us each and every day to lives that are increasingly characterized by love for you and, and lives that are lived increasingly in line with your will and your priorities and your ways. And so, God, this morning as we come uh, to think together about what it looks like to live with a sanctifying hope in you, Jesus, we pray that the good news of your work in us will help to empower and transform us as we pursue life lived for you. And so we can't do any of that on our own. We really need you. And we pray that you'd meet us this morning as we study. Amen. Well, like I said, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, very last couple of verses of this first letter, uh, beginning in verse 23, reads this way. Now may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. And greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now, throughout this letter, we've seen Paul continually calling Christians to be characterized by living with a hope in Jesus' return that sanctifies our lives, that sets our lives apart for God and for his purposes. And it brings about this kind of hope that brings about this Christ-like holiness in our lives. And as we take a look at the way Paul wraps up this letter, I want to highlight three things that we learn about the sanctifying work that God's called us into that Paul shows us in this last couple of verses. I want to show you the goal of our sanctification. I want to show you the means of our sanctification. And lastly, I want to show you the assurance of it. So the goal, the means, and the assurance. That's our roadmap this morning. Let's begin this way. The goal of our sanctification. Verse 23, Paul prays that the Thessalonians would be sanctified through and through, and that their whole spirit and soul and body would be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The phrases Paul uses there, together they communicate this kind of all-encompassing, thorough completeness. See, the kind of sanctification, the kind of Christ-like holiness that Paul is praying for here, it's not like a, a partial holiness, it's not a like that'll do kind of holiness, it's comprehensive. See, the goal of our sanctification is a comprehensive holiness. It is a top to bottom, inside out, all-inclusive kind of holiness, a holiness that is both deep and wide, a holiness where there's nothing that is excused or excluded or minimized. And just to be clear, when Paul prays that our whole spirit and soul and body would be kept blameless, he's not trying to teach that there's like somehow like these three distinct parts to humanity, right? He's just using several terms for the sake of emphasis. 
He's simply saying that the kind of sanctification that God is after in our lives is not merely just about our internal beliefs and attitudes, nor is it just about our external speech and behaviors. It's both and. See, the kind of comprehensive holiness that God desires for his people, it includes the material and immaterial aspects of who we are. It includes our minds and our bodies. It includes our attitudes and our actions. It's internal. It's external. It is all-encompassing. And this kind of all-encompassing view of spiritual transformation isn't just shocking in our own world. It would have been quite striking in the Greco-Roman world as well. See, in that culture, the kind of the, the, the immaterial, the spirit part of you was the thing that only people really cared about, that the body didn't really matter. It was just kind of this useless husk that you would gladly discard someday. And that kind of thinking of that what you did with your body didn't matter because it was just like this kind of husk that you would just get rid of at some point, it led to all kinds of depravity and abuse in the ancient world. But that kind of thinking, it runs completely counter to the message of the Bible throughout the Bible that our physical bodies and what we do with them really does matter to God. You see, from the very beginning, we see that God's created our bodies. He calls them very good, right? We aren't just spirits that happen to have a body by accident for a while. Additionally, 1 Corinthians 6 teaches that our, our bodies are a temple, a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit, God himself. And so, therefore, we're called to honor God with our bodies. And lastly, our bodies have a future. See, one of the hallmarks of the Christian faith is that we believe not just in a spiritual kind of esoteric resurrection, but we believe in a physical resurrection. See, heaven is not going to be a place where everybody just kind of has like some ghost-like aura and are kind of floating around having like a Casper the Friendly Ghost kind of situation. No, heaven's going to be an embodied experience, all five senses. And for these reasons and a whole host of others that we don't have time to get into this morning, the Bible makes clear that what we do with our bodies, it really actually matters to God. And so by definition then, part of the comprehensive sanctification and holiness we're called to it involves then bringing what we say and the way that we live in line with God's good design. We've seen in just this letter alone how Paul specifically addresses the way that that kind of sanctification, this comprehensive sanctification, it, it involves the way that we practice sexuality. It involves the way that we speak to people. It involves the way that we speak to God and relate to him. You see, what you do with your body really does matter to God. But while we should be deeply committed to growing in external holiness, we must also be careful to avoid the thinking that sanctification is just behavior modification. Right? That's just so like bringing your actions in line with God's will. You see, God's not after a people whose lives are merely externally conformed to his will. He's after a people whose whole entire heart, whose very core is devoted and set apart to him. Which means that the kind of comprehensive sanctification he calls us to, it fundamentally, it fundamentally involves a transformation of your character, of your very identity. You see, for example, God doesn't just want us to be a people who are able to restrain ourselves from acting selfishly. He wants to transform us into a kind of people for whom selfishness is at odds with who we are. Do you see how that, that's different? 
That's not just restraining your actions to not being selfish on the outside. It's about a rewiring of your heart so that selfishness is increasingly at odds with who he's made you to be. That's not the same. Those are, that's, that's internal transformation. You see, true sanctification, it always involves bringing the way that we speak, the way that we behave in line with God's ways. But that kind of transformation, that kind of all-encompassing, every part of our lives transformation, it only happens when the internal parts of us have been renewed and transformed. It only happens when our hearts and our minds are being increasingly brought into the image of Christ. And so the goal and the scope of our sanctification isn't partial holiness. It's comprehensive holiness, complete, top to bottom, inside out, all-encompassing holiness. Jesus puts it this way in Matthew 5, 48. He says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's a high bar, right? That's a high bar. And the truth is, is that no matter how far you've come, no matter how much you've grown in holiness, when the bar is perfection, it's real easy to keep looking at that bar and just feel like, have we made any progress at all? Like, what, like where are we going with this? There's still so much room. And it's easy to be overwhelmed and defeated to, because the truth is that all of us are a long ways from perfect. Which is why you can't miss the way Paul begins his prayer. Did you notice that he doesn't pray that the Thessalonians would sanctify themselves through and through, does he? He prays that God himself would sanctify them through and through. See, that brings us to the second thing I need to she, I want to show you about our sanctification this morning, and that's the means of our sanctification. You see, Paul's prayer here, it clearly highlights that the, the onus for this comprehensive, life-transforming work, it doesn't ultimately fall on you. It ultimately lands on God. You see, the only way that you and I are going to be increasingly characterized by a comprehensive, top-to-bottom, internal-external, whole-life kind of holiness is if God himself empowers that transforming work in us. And to be clear, there is absolutely an active and intentional role we play in our sanctification, which we'll talk about in just a moment. But the thing that makes the kind of sanctification God intends for us to have possible is that it's not your strength, it's not your tenacity, it's not your resolve, it's not your impressiveness, it's not just like your Midwestern, I'll get it done by myself, bootstraps kind of mentality. Like that's, that's not what's doing it. It's him, it's his divine power at work in you. And Paul's prayer here reflects the truth that in the deepest sense, our sanctification, our growth in Christ-like holiness, just like our salvation, is the work of God. He's the one who does it. And that is really good news because the obvious reality is that you and I are terrible at sanctifying ourselves. You know, like, just spoiler alert, you know who's really bad at sanctifying themselves? You are, right? Myself, we are. We're really bad at it. You know who's great at it? God is. Anyone who's ever even tried to keep a simple New Year's resolution knows that, right? The data shows, did you know this? By February, 80% of people have totally chucked every New Year's resolution they had, right? Less than 8% of people even make it one year with a New Year's resolution. And that's about one sliver of somebody's life for a single year. And the sanctification that God's talking about is a comprehensive, internal, external, whole life kind of holiness for your whole life. 
You, have, you don't have any shot. You see, the, it's him. He has to be the one who does it in us. It's his power, not yours, that makes it possible. But at least with, with the question, right, if God's the one who sanctifies us, then, then like, what's the deal with all the commands? Like, it seems there's plenty of instructions about, like, stuff we're supposed to be working at, stuff we're supposed to be doing, right? Are we supposed to be actively working at growing in that stuff, or we just kind of, like, wait around for, like, this sanctifying zap from God, right? And I think all of us could get real excited about the idea of, like, passive transformation, right? Like, it would be amazing if you could just, like, you know, show up to, you know, it's like show up to church some Sunday, listen to a sermon, just, like, walk away, completely a transformed person, right? Just, like, you know, just, you don't have to exert any effort, you don't have to exert any energy, just kind of, like, put your feet up, right? Just, like, ultimately let Jesus take the wheel there for you, right? Like, we can all get excited about that. But the truth is that while sanctification is absolutely that God does in you, it is not something he does without you. See, sanctification and passivity are two paths that never cross. There are two paths that never cross, See, instead, what you see throughout the Bible are exhortations to wrestle and run, to work and suffer, to endure and fight and resist and persevere, and to strive towards holiness. Colossians chapter 1, Paul is writing about his desire to see everyone become spiritually mature, he, to see everyone become comprehensively sanctified. In verse 29, he says it this way, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Now, the word Paul uses there to describe the kind of effort he exerts towards pursuing sanctification in himself and in others, it's the same word that we get our English word agonize from. It implies this intense, purposeful struggle. But did you notice where Paul says in that verse where, where the power for that intense, purposeful struggle comes from? He says it's not his energy that he works with, it's Christ's energy working in him. You see, one of the most important keys to lifelong comprehensive sanctification is that while it is our responsibility to press in to that hard transforming work that God wants to do in us, we do so while we're not relying on our strength to bring about that transformation. We're not tapping into kind of some deep inner reserve to root out those hard to reach areas of sin in our lives. What we're doing instead is tapping into the endless reservoir of God's divine power that he's made accessible to us by faith in Jesus. It's his spirit empowering us. I remember a few years ago reading a book by a guy named Drew Dick where he talked about how sanctification is a lot like sailing. And he said, sailors, they, they can't move without the wind, but that doesn't mean that they kick up their feet on the deck and wait to start moving he says, they're tying knots, they're adjusting sails, they're turning the rudder, all while making sure that the boom doesn't swing across the deck and smack them in the head. Sailing is hardly a passive activity, and yet it is completely dependent on the wind. Similarly, we're completely dependent on God's Spirit to cause us to grow, but we are not passive in that process. We join God in the work that he's doing in us. One commentator put it this way, God is the one who will make his people holy so that we'll be blameless at the coming of Jesus. Of course, part of the means by which he will do this 
is the thinking and suffering and struggling of the people themselves. You see, this is the balance we must maintain at the heart of the Christian living. To be holy is hard work. But we believe that it is God himself present in our hearts by his spirit who enables us to get on and do it. See, the Puritans, they described this kind of sanctifying effort. They called it holy sweat. See, completely dependent on God, we press in to the sanctifying work that he's called us to. See, but there's one last thing I need to show you this morning. See, we've seen the, the, the goal of our sanctification. We've seen the, the means of it. But the reason why we can keep pressing into God's sanctifying call in our lives without becoming overwhelmed and defeated isn't just because it's his power at work in us to make it possible, to make this kind of comprehensive holiness possible, but because it's also his faithfulness that ensures our sanctification is inevitable. You see, God's faithfulness is the assurance of our sanctification. Verse 24, Paul says it this way, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. See, Paul's confidence in their sanctification is rooted in the call of God and the faithfulness of God to those he has called. See, there's no need, Paul tells the Thessalonians, for them to worry about whether they'll be sufficiently holy and blameless when Jesus returns. He says, for the same God who in chapter 1 surely has called them to saving faith in Christ can be trusted to be faithful to sustain them and to sanctify them until the end. Or as Paul puts it in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Here's the deal, church. The reason why you can be confident that God is going to bring about your comprehensive sanctification in the end is not because you are faithful, but is because he is faithful. It's not because you are faithful. It's because he is faithful. More specifically, it's so important that you see this. It's not even that God's just promised to be faithful to you, which he has. It's not even just that. It's that God will not be unfaithful to himself and to his very own purposes. You see, if God did not bring about your sanctification in the end, that he would be unfaithful to his very own purposes for saving you and calling you to faith in the very first place. Just a few weeks ago in chapter 4, verse 7, we saw Paul reminding the Thessalonians about how God had called them to a life of holiness. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, we read that it says this way, God chose us in him for the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In Romans chapter 8, 29, echoes this truth. It says, those that God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's to be sanctified. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 to 26, he reminds us that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. You see, in calling you to himself, God's purpose was your sanctified holiness. And in choosing you and adopting you into his family, his intention from the very beginning was to reshape your life so that it reflected the beautiful, stark beauty of Christ's own holiness. And in dying for you so that all of that could be possible in the first place, God's objective was to sanctify you and to make you holy. Here's the point. If 
Your Christ-like holiness is at the very center of God's purposes for the reason why he chose you and died for you and called you into his family, then you can be absolutely certain that he is going to be faithful to sanctify you through and through. That he will be faithful to keep your whole body, soul, and spirit blameless until Jesus returns. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 24 says it this way, the Lord Almighty says, surely as I have planned, so it will be. As I have purposed, so it will happen. You see, God always does what he says he will do. God's purposes are as sure as the bedrock of our universe. And he rarely brings about his purposes at the speed or in the timing you and I might prefer. But you can be absolutely certain that he always does what he intends. And because he is the means by which our comprehensive holiness is possible, and because his faithfulness is the reason why you can be sure that your sanctification is inevitable, you can choose to keep pressing into the hard work of pursuing holiness each and every day without becoming overwhelmed or defeated. Yes, you have a long ways to go. We all do. But the one who called you to himself and whose very spirit dwells in you by faith is powerful and faithful, and he will do it. And if you needed proof, that the God that you are trusting to sanctify you is faithful, you don't need to look any further than the cross. See, and it's the cross of Christ. It's his choice to die in our place for our sin rather than leave us on our own that we remember and celebrate every week when we take communion. And communion is not the thing that makes you right with God, just like baptism doesn't make you right with God. It doesn't change your status or your standing with him. Instead, it's a chance for you to remember and how he chose to be faithful to you even unto death. That his body and blood were broken and shed so that you might be forgiven and purified so that his very spirit might come to dwell in you and empower the sanctifying work that he has called you to. And so if you put your trust in Jesus, or you do for the first time this morning, then I want to encourage you during our time of worship, go back and take communion. And there are two tables in the back of the room. You, don't, you can dip the bread in the juice, and as a joyful reminder of all you've put your faith in Jesus to be and to do for you. But if you're here this morning, and you're still figuring out who Jesus is, and you haven't yet put your faith in him to be the one who saves you and the one who sanctifies you, then I want to encourage you, you are welcome here. But hold off on taking communion because God's not after religious rituals and he's not after going through the motions. He's after a heart that trusts in him completely, not just to save you, but to transform you and to make you new. And so communion might not be right for you this morning, but Jesus is and River City is and we want to help you know him. And so wherever you're at this morning, I want to encourage you as we, as we take communion, as we sing, as we remember the gospel together in those ways, I want to encourage you, talk with God. Where do you need to keep growing? Where are the gaps or the holes in your holiness? Right? Where does your sanctification need to go wider? Where are the parts of your lives it has not reached yet 
Or where might it need to go deeper to stop being just an external restraint and to become an internal transformation in your heart? See, all of us are in process. None of us have arrived at comprehensive holiness. It's a work that will only come to completion when Jesus returns. And there are probably some areas that you already know. As soon as I ask that question, where do you need to be growing? There are, there are probably some areas in your life that spring to mind. Maybe it's an area of habitual sin that you need to be free from. Maybe it's a, a suicidal that you're aware is having this controlling influence in your heart or in your life. Maybe it's an area where God's been already working on your way in, and you see some growth, but you know you still have more to go. And like a loving father, God is celebrating the ways you're, you're changing with you, but as a good father, he keeps calling you into further holiness. See, the kind of sanctification he's after is not a that'll do kind of sanctification. It's a comprehensive sanctification. See, but while there are probably some areas where you know you need to grow, I can guarantee you there are plenty of areas that you are not even aware of yet. And I want to encourage you, ask God to bring about healthy conviction by his Spirit Ask him to show you areas of ignorance or of complacency in your own life. Ask him to help you see the holes in your own holiness. I just want to encourage you, it's safe to ask God to do that for you. It's safe to ask him to show you your flaws because he is a good and loving father. You see, he is not going to crush you under the weight of your sin. He are, Jesus was already crushed for you. And so to ask him to help you to see where you need to grow is to ask a good and loving father to gently come and to give you the guidance that you need to keep going forward. He is safe to ask for correction. But don't just ask him. Ask God's people. Ask your small group where there's room for you to keep growing. Proverbs 27 says that as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. You see, you and I, we all have blind spots that you cannot see, but that others probably can. One of the marks of spiritual maturity is the willingness to both solicit and receive advice and correction from others. You see, some people are only marked by ever giving advice. And that's a problem. See, spiritual maturity is not marked by just having a lot of things to say. It's marked by humility that invites the wisdom and love of God through others to help you keep growing. Look for people who are marked by confessing their own sin. You see, we become safe people when we are characterized by remembering our own need for the gospel. And so the safest people to ask about your blind spots are the people you know who are willing to admit their own. So where might God be calling you to join him in the sanctifying work he's doing? Where is he needing to widen or deepen your sanctification? But last, as we close, I just want to ask you this. What might be keeping you from pursuing a comprehensive holiness? Maybe you know, right? Maybe like we just talked about, the thing that's keeping you from pursuing that is just ignorance, right? You don't know where you need to be growing. And so ask God or ask others to help you identify some of those areas. Read your Bible. Spoiler alert, you're not going to get too far before you like, find some spots where your own thinking and actions are out of line with God's, right? Like it's, it's a big book and you're not Jesus. So like you're, there's plenty of things there, right? 
So sometimes it's ignorance, but oftentimes I think it's just complacency. See, the sanctifying work God's doing on us is hard, and it's often uncomfortable, and we just often rather not deal with it. It's just kind of easier to maintain the status quo. And I just want to, in love for you, I want to challenge you. The God of the universe bled and died so that you might be empowered by his spirit to reflect his holiness. Don't take that for granted. Don't let that be a small thing that you shove to the side. That doesn't matter. See, for some, complacency is just a result of laziness and apathy. But others, I think sometimes complacency is a result of just feeling stuck. You have been trying really hard for a long time to grow in holiness, but you just feel like you aren't making progress. And so you just feel like there's no point to keep trying. And if that's you, I want to encourage you with two things. Number one, don't give up. Do not give up. God's power makes your sanctification possible, and so even though you cannot do it, you can be real sure he can. So don't give up, but two, ask God to give you eyes to see how much he has already transformed you. So often I think those feelings of being overwhelmed, they come from getting stuck in the day view of the stock chart of our spiritual lives, and just feels like we're just never making any progress. And ask God by his spirit to help you zoom out and to see the uneven, nonlinear trajectory by which he has, in fact, been growing you over time. Ask him by his spirit to help you see the work that he's been doing in you. And so maybe it's ignorancy, maybe it's complacency that keeps us from pursuing it, but I think sometimes it's also just fear. And maybe it's fear of losing people's approval, or fear of pain, or difficulty, or opposition, or maybe it's just fear of failing. In the most humble and loving tone, I need to just tell you this. Following Jesus will inevitably result in the loss of someone's approval. There is no way around it. But you have the approval of the God of the universe, and so it's worth it, and you're safe. And you will fail, and you will fall short, and you will be unfaithful, but because Jesus will never fail, and because he has not fallen short, and because he will never be unfaithful, you are safe and secure with him. And so you can get right back up and keep pressing into the work he's calling you into. And so lastly, let me close with this. For some of us, what's keeping us from sanctification, right, is complacency. Some of it's fear. Some of it's, some of it's ignorance. But I think for a lot of us, what happens is what's keeping us from real sanctification is that you are relying on your own power, not God's. You're trying to fight sin and you're trying to pursue holiness with your own strength. And the methods that you are using to combat sin and pursue holiness, they don't really involve God at all. One of the surest signs that this is the case is a lack of prayer. One of the surest signs that you are relying on your own strength and not God's is a lack of prayerfulness. Have you noticed throughout our letter how Paul is constantly breaking into prayer for the Thessalonians? He's just like mid-paragraph and he just starts praying for them, right? Like four times in our letter, he's just like broken into prayer in the middle of, just like in the middle of what he's writing about. Why does he do that? Because he knows that he doesn't have any power to change anybody and that they can't change themselves. Only God can do it. 
See, at the ground level, prayer is about dependence on God. And so I want to encourage you, start there. Build a habit of prayer into your daily life that expresses your dependence on God, not just to do what he's called you to do, but to be who he has called you to be. And don't just ask God to empower your comprehensive sanctification. Ask him to remind you that your sanctification and your blamelessness before Jesus at his return isn't something you have to worry won't happen, but is instead something you can be sure about because it's ultimately up to him. Ask him to remind you that it's his power and his faithfulness that fuel your love for him and your life given back to him. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful for you, and we're grateful that it's your power and your faithfulness that are the the means and the assurance for the kind of comprehensive sanctification you've called us to. And we pray that you would help us, God, out of just like a glad dependence on you to be dripping with holy sweat. God, that every aspect of our attitudes and actions, every corner of our thoughts and deeds, that we would be sanctified through and through. That our whole body and soul and spirit, that the internal parts of our heart and the external actions of our hands, they might be set apart for you, King Jesus. We pray that our lives might reflect in actuality the purity and the blamelessness you've given us positionally in Christ. And God, we pray that you might do this. All of it, God for our good, and for your great and abiding glory in and through your people, we pray. Amen.